seeks a spirit of homo sapien species. We are the reptilians. We are hidden among you. And the time is at hand for us to reveal ourselves to this civilization. Upon our arrival, you will concede control of planet Earth. We will establish our own form of government and control. You will obey, or you will suffer the consequences. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Alien Talk Podcast. And there is nothing wrong with your mobile app or your internet. And reptilians have not taken control of our communication systems or our planet. No, we thought we would go with something a little different at the beginning since today is Halloween. All Hallow's Eve to the medieval Christians, Samhain to the ancient Druids, or Samhain if you want to pronounce it that way. So we thought we'd go and uh, give it a uh, try something a little different here that would give you a little scare. So <laughs> I don't know. How did it work? <laughs> I don't think our listeners are easily scared, Joe. Uh, it did sound a little eerie, though, to me anyway. Yeah, this is the season when it's considered a cool thing to be scary. Uh, the church actually has a label for this time of year. It's called Hadotide. And it's when we commemorate the saints and all the faithfully de- deceased. It's on the calendar as All Saints Day, which is a holy day of obligation for Catholics. And then All Souls Day, which is the day right after. Yeah, we also see All Souls Day with the, uh, the popular celebration in Latin American countries as a Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. Uh, like you said, as, as a commemoration of the deceased. Uh, of course, most cultures around the world have holidays for such observance, and many of them are at this time of year. Yeah, so just to give some brief historical trivia to all of this, back in the 7th century, Pope Boniface IV set May 13th as a feast day to celebrate all the saints and martyrs and to replace the Roman holiday of La Marioria. Uh That was a festival that honored all the spirits that wandered the earth. Now, in other places like the British Isles, it was held on November 1st as All Hallows Day, Hallow for Saint, uh, right after the Celtic holiday Samhain which, like La Moralia, was centered around appeasing restless and malevolent spirits. It eventually became called All Hallows' Eve, since it was the day right before All Hallows' Day. By the 9th century, the uh, May 13th date stopped being recognized in favor of the November 1st one, and the name All Hallows' Day was simply changed to being All Saints' Day, and after a while, All Hallows' Eve became corrupted into the word Halloween. And All Souls' Day was also moved around the 9th century from being observed during the Easter season to being on November 2nd, which is right after All Saints' Day. Sure. And uh, this was a typical practice of the church to purge uh, pagan holidays, a category into which also fall Christmas and Easter and replace them as Christian ones. And so uh, let's get to the topic for our show today which is reptilians or the uh, reptilian alien race to be uh, specific. You know, I've been fascinated by this topic for several years now. There's a chilling conspiracy theory out there, which suggests that some of the famous celebrities and world leaders are some kind of lizard creature, sometimes called saurians uh, that are underneath human skin. So personally, I I find it difficult to wrap my head around this belief that there are those who are of an alien uh, reptoid race 
the this was really thrusted into the limelight in the past 10 years by a former British sportscaster named uh, David Icke, uh, who has claimed that certain Western political leaders are actually nothing more than lizard aliens, um, and, and they're the ones who are controlling the uh, world's economy. Yeah, for those who don't know of him, David Icke is a conspiracy theorist and an author who in recent years has put forward the notions that paranormal events, psychic activity, alien interdimensionality, and secret societies like the Illuminati are controlling the entire world and all of its leaders, even now as we speak. And one of the things he has claimed is that reptilian beings are in human disguise or in shape-shifted form and are responsible for so much havoc being wreaked upon everything. So just to give our own disclaimer, Lori and I do not peddle in conspiracy theories. We look at the facts and evidence. We look at things we know and, and see what can be reasonably garnered interpreted and deduced from them the methods used to find a truth often bring about inconclusive results but that doesn't mean that any wild speculation derived from that is equivalent to being the actual truth we know that many of the subjects we pondered uh and this and have discussed on this show do not bring us to a definitive answer and we do realize that it's like we've said before that the truth is a, is a very high and difficult standard to reach and it demands proof that must be demonstrated measured and tested and this is how we determine something uh, actually does occur or actually does exist by way of the scientific method. Right. And uh, just because we say to push the limits of our understanding, it doesn't mean we should just go about believing everything without good cause. Uh, indeed, many things are poss possibly true and that we just don't know about them yet or haven't discovered them yet. And we should consider how they could be true, that being done through intelligent and logical examination, of course. However, we should always be careful not to get onto a shaky ground, uh, going as far as to declare that George W. Bush or Queen Elizabeth are alien lizards um, that have morphed into some kind of human form is a statement that can't possibly be uh, proven as true to a, uh, a reasonable person. Yeah, so while it's important to, that we stay curious, it's also important that we stay sensible. Uh, now, David Icke is not the only person to say that we have reptilioids living amongst us. Uh, it was actually something that was believed by the Theosophy School of Helena Blavatsky. Uh, what that was was a group of mystic and esoteric kind of spiritualists of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And it, it got its start in New York City around 1875. And they embraced theological and philosophical doctrines, hence the name Theosophy, uh, such as Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, Hermeticism, uh, Occultism, Transcendental Meditation, Islamic Sufism, Jewish Kabbalah, and Occultism. Uh, this was a rather prominent religious trend in the Victorian era, with the increased practice in things like seance, witchcraft, astral projection, Ouija boards, and other psychic stuff like that. And it continued on throughout the time of World War One and into the 1920s. So to them, the spirit world was not static or remote, but instead was very interactive within the affairs of people. And we see that there were some uh, notable figures like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories, uh, Layman Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, Aleister Crowley, Edward Casey, Rudolf Steiner, and Grigory uh, Rasputin, who was that bizarre advisor to the last Russian czar, Nicholas II. And they were all into these types of beliefs, 
Even Carl Jung, who is the well-known psychologist, applied subjects like Gnosticism, mythology, and Eastern thinking into his analytical theory of archetypes and the un- of the unconscious. This is uh, particularly apparent in his works uh, like the, the Secret of the Golden Flower and the Red Book, two prominent works that he created uh, in his lifetime. And indeed, many of these individuals were eccentric, uh, and, and but they definitely took serious the notion that intelligent forces were at work in the influencing of humankind. Now, one of these notions that Blavatsky, who just like Rasputin was from Tsarist Russia, believed that there were these demonic creatures called archons that dwelt everywhere in the world. And they were thought by the first century Gnostics uh, who lived in places like Alexandria, Jerusalem, and Edessa to be responsible for bringing about all the villainy and turmoil in the world. I actually use the characterization of archons as an antagonistic element within my novel, The Gnostic Spire, just FYI. (laughs) Now, reference to them has been found in a manuscript called The Gospel of Light, which was found among the famous Nag Hammadi scrolls, which were discovered in 1945. And the Manichaeans of Persia also adopted the same concept about 150 years later, and uh, they were conceived as having these uh, these archons were conceived as having serpent and wizard appearances. Yeah, the reptilian aliens are believed to be from one on one or a few planets, uh, like from the star system Draconi in the constellation Draco, uh, Arcturus from the constellation Bootes, and Proxima Centauri from uh, Centaurus. So Blavatsky actually did write about dragon men who she said once lived on the lost continents of uh, was it Lemuria, which is thought to have sunk in the Indian Ocean, and Mu, which is thought to have sunk in the Pacific Ocean. Um, this, of course, is, is much like how Atlantis sank in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, we brought that up a few months ago in our episode about lost civilizations that were wiped out in a cataclysm, possibly the Great Flood. And Blavatsky's notion of the dragon men inhabiting its consi- uh, is consistent with the uh, alien theory about lost continents and that extraterrestrials inhabited the Earth on these continents a very long time ago, perhaps uh, as, as some may think, uh, even hundreds of millions of years ago, uh, all the way back to the time of the dinosaurs. Yeah, and, and Blavatsky and her school of theosophists were sort of consumed, uh, obsessed with the belief that our ancient ancestors possessed an amazing wisdom that was carried down through secrets uh, that were mystically manifested throughout the minds of so-called masters. Uh, and that is what she believed. She was actually reviving in her synthesis of science and religion, as she claimed in her work. It was titled uh, Isis Unveiled. Uh, they also associated these uh, this dragon man species as being superior to humans, as being godlike, which, of course, is again, is very consistent with the ancient alien theory. Uh, they even believe uh, that they are the rightful owners of our planet and will once uh, again rule over it one day in, in the future. And this, of course, does sound very similar to what we've said about the ancient astronaut theory. Uh, as it is proposed by Zachariah Sitchin and Eric von Danigan. But uh, it went even further. Uh, as the theosophists understood, these dragon men were still in existence in the present day in the form of archons, and that most of them were, were evil, malicious, um, and self-gratifying, 
and had a little interest in the betterment of humanity. And basically, this was their esoteric worldview of how everyone's behavior is influenced by unseen powers that are working around everywhere. And even in how in the course of human history uh, is unfolding in the way that our governments are established in the way to control human affairs. And, you know, I can accept that a race of alien lizards may have come here from another star system, you know, unlike the Anunnaki who who uh, came here from our own solar system. However, I don't believe that David Icke is correct in believing that these aliens shapeshift into presidents, monarchs, popes, emperors, or even corporate CEOs. If, if for no reason uh, if, or other reason than because these beings are described sometimes as being anywhere from 7 to 12 feet tall. So how does that height work for them masquerading around as humans? Now, I know there are YouTube videos that uh, show people supposedly shape-changing or glitching. However, keep that, uh, keep that in mind that um, that can easily be faked, uh, to which I, I believe they are deliberately manipulated. I, I don't believe we are not currently living like uh, in the 80s TV series, V, um, where there are alien lizards visiting Earth and disguised as human in the uh, in uh, skin suits. So, you know, I've always liked seeing the reptilians have uh, appear in movies and, and TV miniseries, such as V the final battle, uh, which was quite creepy. If you ask me, especially after seeing their true appearance underneath the, the human flesh disguise. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. one thing about that show that I've always thought was kind of funny uh, was the visitors uh, hardly ever took off their human skin suits, <laughs> even when mm-hmm. they were inside their own ship. It's like they knew they looked better even to each other by not walking around like the true wizards that they really were. I mean, (laughs) even in those uh, romantic scenes, they were still wearing the human skin. So I don't know, maybe it's like some kind of fetish turn on for reptilians. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, true. (laughs) Um, But the producers back then probably didn't want to cross the line too much. The the storyline was quite good, actually. Uh, lizard type aliens come to earth for our resources like water. And then eventually humans has food. <laughs> um, I mean, not going to lie. It put a shiver down my spine when I watched it back in the day. So, so did the movie they live staring at, you know, the late uh, Roddy Piper. However, th- those ones did not really look reptilian, but the conspiracy theory about being in government control while disguised as humans, it was somewhat based on that. Yeah. Now, these Gnostics, um, we'll go back to them, who believed in these so-called archons, they had a world worldview that put the realm of the spiritual as being completely and totally separated and removed from the realm of the physical. So they held this idea that God, that being the true God, was remote from the known universe. And he was in a place called the Pleroma, uh, which is completely inaccessible and unknowable except through special divine insight and understanding that is called gnosis, which means knowledge, to know. Uh, That God also did not create everything. He could not have, because that God is absolute perfection, and the material world where we live is far from perfect. So they claim that a different God, um, one who is inferior to the true and perfect one, is the one who is responsible for creating this human universe, which, of course, is flawed in many ways. That God who they called Yaldabaoth, is the one who was revealed through the Old Testament as Yahweh. And he is a, a demiurge, 
uh, is not the true God of the cosmos. Gnostic teachers like Valentinus believe that Christ was an emanation of the Pleroma and sent to save us from the drudgery of the material world that was created by the Demiurge and show how to find the light, uh, that light being the knowledge of the true God. Now, what's interesting is the portrayals of Yaudabaoth. Again, that's the being uh, of the God we know of from the Old Testament, more or less Yahweh. And they have him as being uh, depicted with the body of a serpent and the head of a lion. So this reptilian feature shows up quite a bit in Gnosticism, not only with the archons who are like in charge of the principalities of the domain of the physical realm, um, and causing all of its problems, but also with the one who is said to have created it all, that being his Yalda both. Yeah, so the first time I saw the image of a man morph into a snake was the movie Conan the Barbarian. But that evil king named Tulsa Doom worshipped a snake god called Seth. And I often wonder if perhaps we all worship snake gods through our own many or through our many religions. We do indeed see the importance of the snake symbolism in Judeo-Christianity. Just, just uh, if you remember the story of Moses holding up the serpent, people had to look at it in order to be healed of their infirmities. Now, if the Anunnaki are indeed our creators and are are, are indeed extraterrestrials who, who have been misunderstood by our ancestors as gods, then it's a possibility. Now, the Anunnaki are described in some ways as lizard-like. They seem to resemble the dragon-like beings from the Zulu tribe and from the Dogon tribe in Mali. Even the old Garden of Eden story of Genesis has a talking serpent. As like we've said, the book of Genesis is a condensed version of the Babylonian texts. Now, the Sumerian god Inki is often associated as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. However, that is not an actual story of what happened. It's an allegorical one describing how Homo sapiens became what is known as thinking man by knowing right from wrong and receiving what would be called a conscience. And the question is, why did the biblical authors use a serpent as the antagonist? And the answer mm. is that they knew who their gods were and how they looked. Now, strangely, Genesis alludes to the serpent as having uh, legs. Uh, we see this when God curses it. Uh, he tells it that it will crawl on its belly and eat dust for all the days of its life. And it uh, was also intelligent enough to speak. So this sounds quite like a humanoid of some type to me. Um, I think it could be possible that the Bible is actually telling us about human contact with a reptilian. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. Um, now, some may say, well, that's an interesting theory, but there's no proof uh, at all to support it. I say, well, not so fast, because... In the Louvre Museum in uh, Paris, there are artifacts from ancient Sumerians showing beings that look uh, reptilian-like. In an article in Ancient uh, Origins dated uh, December 12, 2013, it states that there was an archaeological discovery made at a site in El-Ubad in in Iraq where 7,000-year-old artifacts were found that depict humanoid figures with lizard-like body features. The origins of these are unknown, but they do precede Sumerian uh, figurines found in both Ur and Eridu, which were the first cities built by the Anunnaki. Now, each artifact is posing differently with some female ones holding and breastfeeding babies, but the babies also look lizard, like they're lizards. So that's very strange. Now, the figurines have long heads. They have almond-shaped eyes, 
long faces and a reptile type nose. Uh, no one knows what they mean or represent, but they seem to be of importance to the inhabitants who lived in uh, El Hubad. Um, the serpent was a major symbol in, in many societies to symbolize certain gods. So, so these figurines may be physical evidence proving the the presence of reptilian aliens in ancient times. Now, I do disagree with the conspiracy that the reptilian race are shape-shifting into human form to a point, okay? Um, I, I just can't seem to wrap my head around how that could occur when some depictions of them are 12 feet tall. Um, I, I just can't I, I, I just can't back that. <laughs> then I realized that if they are shape-shifting, it's not the actual species that's doing it, but it must be a hybrid children. Maybe it's those depicted in those uh, uh figurines that are, uh, um, you know, sucking on the, uh, the, the figurines press. <laughs> uh, maybe they're the ones who are descended from the reptilians and are then possibly much shorter um, as sometimes described. They're probably they're the six foot tall, the seven foot tall ones. And now we've also talked about the possibility that the Aztec god, what's a coatl, uh, was an Anunnaki who stayed on Earth instead of returning to Nibiru. And we also mentioned, uh, we said this back in our episodes uh, covering Mormonism, that Quetzalcoatl may actually be the same figure as Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a good possibility. Um, it, it was after the so-called resurrection that he was received into the so-called cloud, i.e. Uh, a spaceship, and then went to Central America, to Teotihuacan, the place of the gods, uh, and an Anunnaki spacecraft was still orbiting the Earth at the time and later left with Jesus, i.e. Uh, Quetzalcoatl, uh, to catch up with the with planet Heaven, a.k.a. Nibiru. Now, Quetzalcoatl is actually described as being a feathered serpent that came to instill and instruct knowledge to the Mesoamerican people. And maybe this is really how Joseph Smith somehow got the idea of Jesus coming to America when he started the uh, Mormon religion. Right. And so now let's consider if we were created in the image and likeness of the Anunnaki, uh, which parallels the religious concepts of us being in the image and likeness of God. Uh, what if they have some reptilian characteristic? Would that mean we would as well? Now, there is something interesting to note about humans, and, and that is the limbic cortex of the brain. According to Paul McLean, uh, back in 1954, it was found to be the, that part of the human neuro and endocrinal systems, uh, they were the emotional processes. These were the centers where emotional processes originate, and then they play a big part in uh, our moods, feelings, desires, and addictions. It is that part of the brain that is in control of us when we fight, flight, feed, fear, and fornicate. It is what controls our primal functions, our drives, if you will. And it has actually been labeled as the lizard brain or the uh, reptilian cortex. So if we were created in the image and likeness of, our, of these gods, did this also come from them as well? And creation has to do with DNA. Now, in his book uh, titled We've Never Been Alone, A History of Extraterrestrial Intervention, Paul Van Ward wrote that the Quinault tribe out of the northwest United States believed that Kwati their God created humans from his sweat and that the uh, Celis tribe uh, also in the uh, North American, uh, probably in the Eastern North American regions, believe their God Amakten uh, was the first woman um, created by the hair of 
quate. Uh, this is all DNA at work. Uh, we, we see this as similar to the uh, Genesis story of a female being uh, created out of the rib of the man. Um, and according to Mesoamerican culture, Quetzalcoatl uh, is said to have sprinkled blood with the bones of early, earlier creatures um, onto an altar to create humans. And this is all congruent, again, with the book of Genesis and how Adam and Eve were made with the stuff that was already there. Some of it is organic and some of it is inorganic. And oddly enough, the serpent, the, the wisest and craftiest creature in the Garden of Eden, was already right there at the time of humans uh, being created. At the time of the very first humans, there was this you know, very wise and um, thrifty serpent. According to the Bible, this is what led us to obtain conscience. That is the knowledge of good and evil. We'll be back after a quick break. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Uh, sure, and and as with any species, there are those who are you know benevolent. And those who are hostile, uh, there are different temperaments within each of them. And most of us do li- like to think that the majority of the human population is good, is moral. And I guess we can only hope that the same goes for alien races. Um, we see it with the Anunnaki, right? I mean, Enlil wanted our destruction, but Enki wanted to share great knowledge with us. Um, if the reptilians are a separate race altogether, then hopefully one day, when they decide to reveal themselves to this civilization and try to overpower our planet, uh, that we'll have those who will advocate uh, uh, on our behalf, much like how we see in the V series. Now, the sinister and and agenda-driven reptilians are and will be a force to reckon with uh, when when that day arrives. And our religious beliefs uh, that are very much uh, predicated upon the existence of powers of, of evil say just as much about them. So going back to this theosophist society, um, th- there was a member who was possibly even more macabre and even more weird than Helena Blavatsky. And his name was Edward Wilson. Uh, he was a British spiritualist and mystic, and he moved to Vancouver in Canada in uh, the late 1920s and uh, started a cult community there called the Aquarian Foundation. Now, Wilson was a follower of this whole spiritual, mystical, and paranormal movement. And like some others uh, who we had mentioned, um, they, they fall, he followed into this as well. He took the name Brother Twelve. Yeah, I, I've heard about him. Um, he believed he was the 12th incarnation of brothers, uh, you know, brothers of wisdom, so to speak, uh, that went all the way back to the time of the Egyptian god Osiris thousands of years ago. And he also had a freaky and uncanny female consort in this cult, who went by the name of Madame Z. That's right. So he completely embraced the teachings of Blavatsky and was said to practice wizardry and black magic 
and basically put people under spells where he could mentally control them, and he was able to powerfully persuade them to follow his cult and give him a lot of money, um, like, like almost all of their money. So he was kind of like any other cult leader in this way, uh, but it was said by his own followers, mind you, that he, as well as Madam Z, were possessed by something called a black adept, which was supposedly a very dark entity, and it resembled a lizard-shaped demon. And they said it gave him the power of clairvoyance, astral projection, and telekinesis, among other things. So according to John Marlowe's book uh, titled Canadian Mysteries of the Unexplained, there was a strange case, which is documented. It happened at Wilson's trial in British Columbia. He got into trouble around 1930, and criminal charges were brought against him. So the man who uh, was testifying against him on the witness stand in the courtroom seemed to suddenly fall victim to some kind of demonic possession. He started speaking in, in a strange voice and started exhibiting these really strange body tremors and, and contortions. Uh, several people were watching the trial. Uh, they were said to have fainted, unexplainably. And even the judge uh, mysteriously and suddenly became mute for a while. Uh, this resulted in the trial being adjourned for the day. Now, his followers later said that Brother 12 had put a spell on everyone there to try to stifle any witness testimony. So uh, very bizarre. And again, there's this connection with uh, a lizard-like entity, to what they, which they called the Black Adept. And that was supposed to be what possessed Brother 12. Yes. And demons are almost always depicted as being reptilian-like, uh, even though they are supposed to be spiritual, as in like evil spirits. They often have a monstrous physical form or of something like a lizard or a snake or a dragon. So uh, when we talk about someone being possessed by one, we see that they are under con under its control, uh, almost like the person has become like a puppet or a shell in which the demon now inhabits and is those in possession of the person's body and all of its uh, faculties. So one of the characteristics that has come up with the reptilians, uh, we've already alluded to this, is the ability to shapeshift which is not only to change appearance, but to alter form, alter anatomy. Uh, this is a, a theme that is indeed found in throughout mythology. Just consider uh, how the Greek god Zeus transforms himself into a swan so as to get close to Lydia and, and to have sex with her. And in Norse mythology, uh, the god Loki, he is able to con constantly transform himself into things like horses and snakes and fish and insects. Um, and he is you know, thought to be the the ultimate trickster god. Now, we find something else interesting, and, and that is in the account of Jesus' resurrection, particularly in the Gospels of Luke and John. And that is, it seems like uh, some kind of shape-shifting has, has occurred with him. Um, let's look at this. The disciples aren't able to recognize him, uh, at least not at first. He walks with a couple of them on the road to Emmaus, and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him at all. Uh, and it's not until later when they go to a house and he breaks bread in front of them that they finally do recognize him. He appears before Mary Magdalene near the empty tomb, and she doesn't know who he is either until he speaks out her name, Mary. Yeah, that's right. And, and he tells her not to touch him because he has not yet returned to the father. So you have to wonder why he said that. What does it mean? Is, is he talking about some kind of dangerous contamination that he may have had? Uh, that's almost what it sounds like, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there there was something you mentioned last week, Joe, about how the uh, alien greys are the species 
we typical um, envision when they uh, when we think about aliens and how they are even more far along in their evolutionary development than the Anunnaki in that they are able to communicate telepathically and quantum jump sort of instantaneously appear someplace without having to walk from one point to another. And we see this as a characteristic of God in, in some parts of the Bible in that he sometimes speaks uh, telepathically uh, to people in dreams and visions. Now, sometimes he speaks face to face as he did with Moses. And we see this with Jesus being able to enter a room with locked doors. So, I mean, perhaps these constituents of the spiritual narrative uh, came from human encounters with with all of with uh, all of these uh, different species. So, um, yeah. And there's also a differentiation among uh, the species, among the Anunnaki, the, the reptilians, and their alien greys, as well as any other species that might be out there. And at the same time, they all have a similar anthropological effect upon the way our religions and mythologies have come about, uh, in the, that the stories and the traditions we have preserved within all of our cultures, all of them you know, synthesize these sort of uh, attributes in some way. So the, the traditions are kind of talking about all of them kind of wrapped up together in, into one or, or many different traditions. Yeah, so in other words, we, we have pieces of stories about all of them woven into the fabric of our traditions and belief systems. We're saying that the capabilities of certain extraterrestrial beings, such as telepathic communication through dreams and instantaneous travel, could have been equated as capabilities of the divine. And indeed, we do see those capabilities mentioned in relation to God, Jesus, and even the prophets. It's also important to note the reptilian aliens are not reptiles in the way um, that we have them here on Earth. Um, it is not as... It's not like they're cousins to uh, to the lizard or the, or the crocodile or something. Um, they are a completely different species of life form that look to be like reptiles, um, but they are not. Um, they are they do look um, that way. And, and people in their primitive and ancient way of thinking would have described them as being like a snake or like a dragon, because that is what. Um, is most mostly uh, uh, that, that resembles to them. You know, while we think of demons as being ugly and scary, as we said, reptilian in appearance, uh, they are often believed to change forms into something else. Let's say cuter and, and cuddlier. It is told in Celtic, Gaelic, Nordic, and Germanic folklore of how demons have the capability to metamorphosize into animals like rabbits, dogs, and birds that are more appealing to the human eye so as to deceive people into allowing them to get close enough to deliver curses upon them. Uh, we find that even the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. So this is a persistent detail that we keep finding in the conceptualization of evil entities, and that is that they can change into other things, often better-looking things, more you know, holy-looking things. Yeah, the reptilian, the reptilians are, as you would uh, accept, expect, uh, referred to as tall and scaly and sometimes having tails. Uh, but the question is, how and why did this type of being come to exist into our culture as being an ancient entity that resides underground? It probably originated from the tale of the serpent in the Garden of Eden story. 
the uh, the reptilians are oftentimes described as hideous beasts who feast on human flesh and ter- and thirst for human blood. Uh, could it be that the reptilians are one of the several races of giants found in the Bible? That that could be a possibility. Um, maybe they were the huge uh, Rephaites that were known as the ones who occupied the land of Canaan, but were later defeated by the Israelites. But according to Deuteronomy 2, 11 to 20, the Raphium were the inhabitants of the, hund- of the uh, underworld. Now, it sounds similar to the reptilians, I think. Um, when we think of the demonic world, we often associate demons as having ferocious looking faces and sharp teeth ready to attack and consume your body and soul. Now, the reptilians may be similar in appearances to that of frightful demon. Now, Revelation 9, 1-7 refers to a large locust-type uh, beings with curved tails like scorpions, and they had teeth like lions, and their command was to torment humans for five months. Now, it says that they were let loose from the abyss, down, somewhere down underground, after an object had crashed into the earth. Um, is this story uh, uh, attempting to describe the reptilians coming up from underground? Also, you have to consider that the Christian tradition has long incorporated the pagan belief in evil spirits known as the incubus and the succubus. And they are capable of shape-shifting into beautiful forms that can seduce people into having sex with them. Uh, this belief was quite prominent among Puritan parishes in New England during the time of the Salem witch trials, where young women were condemned as having had coitus with the devil or with a demon, resulting in unexplained pregnancies or false pregnancies. I mean, this whole idea harkens back uh, to what we've discussed before in the Book of Enoch uh, and how the fallen angels, who theologically are identified as the demons, and, and how they lusted after human women. So it could be that there is an extraterrestrial association of demons, archons, uh, jinns in the Middle Eastern lore, uh, Wendigos in the Native American lore, and other evil beings. And that is that the encounters our ancestors may have had with alien species sometime in a distant past. And not just with the Anunnaki, but with the others like the alien greys and the reptilians who are even more enigmatic in some of their capabilities and, and their technological advancement. And could they be the ones of whom people were warned about as being superiorly deceitful, manipulative, and crafty, uh, so much so that they could change how they look and sound? Uh, we, in this very uh, day and age, have computer software that can do that. Uh, consider Wikifakes, which can create the face and voice of someone through the sophisticated AI programs and have it genuinely sound like it is that very person speaking when really it is not. So if we are now learning to develop the capacity for that kind of trickery, is it not inconceivable that a highly advanced alien race could do the same, but even better and even more convincingly? Yeah. Now, author Rick Ritfern wrote in his book, Bloodline of the Gods, that the Anunnaki and the reptilians may be the same species and he brings up uh, the Mesoamerican god Quetzalcoatl. Uh, his name is translated, as I stated earlier, the, as a feathered serpent. It was also noted that long before Quetzalcoatl, the Mesoamerican people were worshiping serpent-type deities. Uh, he may have been a descendant Anunnaki species, 
um, that stayed behind to further help humanity and that it's possible for him to be Inky's son, which I believe could also mean that Quetzalcoatl could very well have been Jesus. Um, and the spacecraft took him to Central America after his resurrection. Now, in The Secret History of the Reptilians, uh, author Scott Allen Roberts makes a point that the uh, Hebrew word nakash or nagash for, is for serpent. And the character of the serpent in the Garden of Eden um, was the same as that for a member of the divine council of the uh, Elohim. Uh, he he has he mentions it as the as the adversary who attended the meeting along with the sons of God to discuss the man Job. Um, Nagash later became known as Lucifer, of course, and you know the bright morning star, the bright shining star. Um, the name of the rebellious god in Sumerian tales was Inki. And they described the area of work to be in a uh, swampy region known as Snake Marsh or Iaden, a den for serpents, which meant that humans first obtained knowledge in the Iaden as uh, none other than Eden. Uh, it was the serpent man that gave us our first steps as a living soul, a conscious entity. Uh, I still think that the Anunnaki are not the actual reptilians. They're a separate species altogether. Now, by looking at some of their depictions on cylinder seals, they are more human-like in appearances, only larger, much larger. Uh, but it's in th those, it's from those people that we get uh, our looks. Uh, it's, it's who we look like in, um, you know, according to their image and their likeness. Uh, they may have some reptilian type features to them, but not, not the full-blown lizard men. So, I mean, Joe, don't you wish we could just hop into a time machine and go back and see all this for ourselves so so we could have all the answers and put the debates to rest. <laughs> um, seeing the many types of extraterrestrial races walking around and conducting business here on Earth back then, uh, the Anunnaki, the Reptilians, the Nephilim, the Seraphim, the Cherubim, the Rephites, and the Emites, and so on and so on. I mean, what a sight it would be. Yeah, it would be either uh, completely fascinating and enlightening, or else it would be absolutely nightmarish. <laughs> One of the two. two. <laughs> yeah, true that. <laughs> true that indeed. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so that is going to wrap it up for us today. Hopefully some of you are able to download our show before going out trick-or-treating with your kids or taking part in whatever festivity you have planned. Uh, we recorded a little earlier this week for that reason. As uh, Lori, I guess you're going over to your daughter's house and uh, me, I'll be passing out candy to kids coming to my door every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll drink some beer, some beer while you're doing that, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. My wife and daughter will be taking the grandchildren out trick-or-treating while I, I do that. And so maybe I'll even catch some of the Sunday night football game. Yep. Well, sounds, sounds good. Um, so, folks, jo join us again next week as we uh, cover Another sort of obscure topic, uh, that being the mystery of Rendlesham Forest in England. So back in the 1980, or in, back in 1980, uh, there was a UFO incident there that became equivalent to the conspiracy of the Roswell incident here in the United States with the uh, usual political cover-up and detailed stories from eyewitnesses who were initially told not to come forward. Um, but some of them did anyway. Yeah, and much like the areas in the southwestern United States, people claim to this day to see strange lights in the skies over the area of Suffolk, which of course has led some people to think that the British government is working on black projects of their own and maybe hiding alien technology there 
just like how the U.S. government may be hiding it in Nevada. Should be a good episode. So uh, thanks for being with us today on the program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. Happy Halloween and stay curious. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be with you again next week. Again, as Joel said, have a safe and fun Halloween night.